Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with you all this morning. If you're new with us, I want to say welcome. My name is Derek Puckett, lead pastor here at Renewal Church of Chicago. And as Ramon just said, uh, if you're new, make sure to fill out one of those connect cards, scan it on the way out if you didn't do so on the way in. We have been in Life Versus. It's a series where, as you heard Elena talk about right there, it's a series where we've been looking at verses of scripture that kind of... Y'all ever heard the, heard the term where I got a, this is my life verse? Somebody might have a tattoo on them, things like that. Uh, this is something that we've lived by. Sometimes your grandma might have something that they spoke over you, remember it from your childhood, these life verses that, like Psalm 23, things like that. And so we've been taking familiar passages of the scripture and we've been walking through them. And the point of it is, is that we really want you to understand what you know. We want you to know what you really believe. So I don't want you to just say that you're a Christian and say this verse is something that, 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 that I've lived my whole life. I don't want you to understand these verses of Scripture. We want you to understand what the Bible actually means. So if you're with me, go ahead and flip with me to Luke chapter 15. That's where we'll be this morning. Familiar passage, a narrative where we're going to look at the prodigal son. One that if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this, this narrative. But I love this narrative. One of the first ones that I preached years ago, and uh, we're going to look at this one, specifically the younger son and the older one next week. So if you got it already, Luke chapter 15, go ahead and stand to your feet if you're able with me, and we'll read the word of God together. You guys been enjoying this series so far? Luke chapter 15, if you got it, go, a, go ahead and say, got it. Starting in verse 11, here now the reading of God's word, it says, And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a long journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields with the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, I love this, bring, the, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
and they began to celebrate the very word of God. Amen. Today, I want to preach on the topic, unforeseen love, unforeseen love. Before we go any further, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are truly an awesome and good God. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your love, your favor, but you choose to bestow it upon us. God, we thank you for your goodness. So God, I pray that even as I speak right now, that you be my mouth, that you be my mind, that you be my heart, that you be every word that comes out of my mouth. Decrease me so that you may increase. Father, have your way in this place. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. All right. Y'all got masks on this morning, so I'm going to have to hear y'all say amen a few times, okay? All right. All right. Let me open by asking this question. Have you ever felt too messed up to be loved? You, you ever felt like because of your actions, you didn't deserve love from someone? I mean, have you ever felt too dirty? Y'all can be honest this morning. You ever been in that place before? Like, I, I don't deserve this. I remember there was this race in uh, Memphis called the Love Mud. Anybody heard of this? You know, Memphis, Tennessee, my runners in here. Love, Love Mud. It's a 5K race. It's a three-mile race where runners, they dress up in all kind of costumes, and then they run this three-mile race. And at the end of the race, there is this huge puddle of mud. It's, it's a pile of mud. And what they do is at the end of the race, they run and they jump into the mud they either swim through it, they, they, some of them drink it, it's nasty. They, they run through the mud, and then they cross the finish line. So if you can imagine, they're, they're covered with filth, they're sweaty, dirty, muddy, and they cross this finish line. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I might go to your race, but if you come up to me muddy and sweaty, I'm going to give you one of them air fives. Good job, good job, good job. COVID high five. But... My friend was at the race one day, and uh, he was watching it, and towards the end of the race, he said he saw something that was so compelling. He saw this, this woman that was dressed in a bumblebee outfit, and she had just got done running the race, and she's walking by herself and covered from head to toe with mud. She's tired, and he said something struck him because he saw this, this man off in the distance that was watching this woman, and then he started running. The, the man ran towards the woman, and all of a sudden, he jumps, and he, he bear hugs this woman. She's covered with mud and sweat and filth, and he picks her up, and he's so happy to see her. Had to be her husband. He's just excited to see her. He embraces her, even though she's all dirty. And see, what we see here is that he loves her and he accepts her for who she is despite her filth. Here's my point, and we all need to hear this. Our dirt, our grime, our mess-ups, our mishaps, our wrongdoings, as bad as they might be, especially in a pandemic right now where it seems like God has just pulled back the covers on our lives and allowed us to see the real you exposed. You anybody feel exposed this morning? Like you've just been able to see all your mess. And, and, and contrary to popular belief, I need you to hear this. The Father's love is not dictated by your mishaps or your mess ups. And I say all this to say because when we mess up, 
We choose to do our own thing. We go our own way and we realize we mess up. We get to this place where our guilt, our shame starts to take over and it leads us to a place of toxicity. It leads us to this toxic place and believing that we're less than and believing the shame and the guilt and the lies that come with that instead of understanding the grace of the Father. It's just like in that Love Mud race where the, the woman, she's, she's with this bumblebee outfit and she's covered with mud and despite her filth, this, this husband, he, he bear hugs her. Y'all, it gives us a picture of the gospel because we all, ourselves, once believers, believers now, were covered in filth. We were covered in mud. We were covered in that parathetical dirt and grime in our sin. But despite our mess, Jesus would bear hug us. He would love us. And he'd die on the cross for us. And, and you may be sitting here today and you may be saying, well, Pastor D, I understand that. I've been in church for a long time. I know that Jesus loves me, but I've messed up and I don't know if there's any coming back from this. I don't know if I'm, I'm too dirty to be loved. Hear me, hear me, hear me. That same love and acceptance that stood 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross is the same love and acceptance that stands today for you. He is saying, I'm here. I'm here. I love you. He's hugging on us and saying, family, I still accept you. Your mess and your mess ups don't dictate my love for you. Got one clap this morning. He says, believe in me. Today in our text, we're going to look at a parable, this long lost son. And although he's disrespected, he's dishonored his father in the text, he's still loved and he's still accepted. Now, this is something I believe we constantly need to hear this morning, Dan. I I think we need to understand this. Whether we know Jesus or not, again, despite our decisions, despite our actions, God's love is not dictated by our mess ups. And so today I got three points, and I'm out your way. Number one, our heart condition. Our heart condition. Number two, a consequence of sin. Number three, our repentance and his acceptance. Our heart condition, consequence of sin, our repentance and his acceptance. The immediate context surrounding this passage here is an interaction with Jesus where he has one with the scribes and the Pharisees. And you see this in the beginning of chapter 15 because Jesus' ministry, he's ministering to tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees, the scribes, they see this and they start grumbling at the beginning of chapter 15. And they say to him, like, he can't be who he is because he's ministering to these sinners. In fact, they say in verse 2, look at it, if you got your Bibles open, said, this man receives sinners. And eats with them. Y'all, these Pharisees are self-righteous. They're in a place where just because they know a little bit more Bible or maybe they dress and look nice a little bit better than everybody else on the outside, they literally think that they're better than everyone else. They are some self-made saviors. Self-righteous people. They have justified their righteousness by what they do, which sets the context of our passage up and where Jesus is going here in the parable. And I need you to hear this again. I'm going to say it one more time. Remember, our actions, our choices don't dictate the Father's love toward us. This brings us to the text and starting in verse 11. The text tells us that there was a man that had two sons. He 
he had an older son, and then he has a younger son. And the text immediately jumps into the younger son, which is where we're going to focus our time today. He, the younger son here, he, he, he asks for his share of land. Actually, he doesn't even ask. He demands his share of the land. He doesn't ask, but he says to his father, give me in verse 12. Y'all, he just wants what he wants, and he wants it right now. He doesn't even recognize how long his father's loved him, how much he's cared for him. Now, now Paul's here. Y'all, it's funny how when we want something or we feel like we deserve something, how we can become so inconsiderate of everybody else. And we, we get to this place like, I don't care about anybody else. I'm going to run over whoever I want to get to where I want. Y'all, this dude in the text, y'all, he says, give me. I can't stand these two words, give me. I tell my children, y'all may think I'm a bad parent when I say this. I'm like, give me's dead. He got shot a long time ago. I got two bullets in the chamber, one for give and one for me. I don't like those words. It, it's like, what? what? Give who? In the text, he says, give me. The younger brother here is only thinking of himself. And see, here's the truth. If we're honest, I'm going to step into your neighborhood a little bit this, with this. We can all be like the younger brother a little bit from time to time. We just want what we want, when we want it, and we think uh, about ourselves. And, and, and often, and, and hear me, this may be hard for you to hear this, but here's the reality. Y'all, we're born this way. We're born some selfish people. I mean, some of y'all have had baby ba pandemic babies, and y'all had a little time with each other during the pandemic, and you had a baby. And then the reality is, if you know this as a parent, when the baby comes out, I mean, there's they some little sinful things. I mean, they come out, and they, they don't come out when they're hungry in one month and just miraculously be like, Mommy, you know, you worked so hard. Nine months, you held me in your stomach, and you, you, you did all those things. And oh, my goodness, on the, the birthing table, you just gave birth to me, and it was a beautiful sight. And I'm so thankful for you that you brought me into this world, but I'm hungry right now. Mama, can you please stop doing laundry and, and, and put, put, just put a meal in the, in the, can you feed me? No, they just be like, man, nah, 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 nah. I need my food now. I need my food. They don't say nothing. It's just like, give it to me now. Only thinking about themselves. And, y'all, I got five kids, five babies. I love my babies. But they still sinful, cute as they are, just like us. And see, the point is that our sinfulness, our selfishness, it runs really deep. It runs really deep. We're all born with this, this heart condition where, where we don't naturally think about other people or the things of God, but instead we rebel. We think about ourselves. I love Psalm 51. David says in it, he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born in sin. And what this means is that we were born with this inclination to rebel against the things of God. And as a result of Adam and Eve in the, in the garden eating from that tree after God said no, in Genesis chapter 3, there was perfect peace between us and God. But when they ate from the tree, perfect peace was broken. That harmony between God was broken. So now we have missed his mark of holiness where we once were perfect. We're no longer perfect anymore. And God is continually running and chasing after. He wants us to come back home. But that's why we need a savior. 
Because perfect peace is broken, perfect harmony with us and God. So he, he, here is God wanting us back, but we, 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 we're rebelling. We're going farther away from him. And even if we try to get back, we can't ever achieve this holiness. So we need a savior. We need a savior who can restore right relationship with God. And that, that savior had to be perfect. That's Jesus. You see, the boy in the text here, hear me, hear me. This boy, I want to say this again. He's a boy because he has no regard for anyone but himself. He's sinful. He, he's, he's, he's rebelling against the father. He's only thinking about himself. Y'all, he's a boy. And put this in your pocket. We've been talking to men about this. It, look, look, I'm calling him a boy because men, hear me, they take care of other people. They, 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 they create and cultivate. That means they make other things flourish around them. Little boys only think about themselves. And it's another sermon for another day, but we got too many boys in society today. And if that's messing with you, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, it's, it's the text. It's the text. We're in the text, okay? It ain't me getting mad at you. I'm telling you, the text is here. Men need to step up, create and cultivate things around you to flourish as a man of God. Another sermon for another day. Come to men's time. I promise we'll dig into that a little bit more. This boy in the text says, give me, there's those words, my portion of the estate which would have been one-third of the estate because the older son would have been due two-thirds of the estate due to the cultural norm. This is what they did at, back then. Now, y'all got to understand, this is very disrespectful. This is dishonoring because the father hadn't passed away yet. So in essence, it's almost like a slap to the face to the daddy, like, I, I don't care that you're still alive. The boy is basically saying, you're dead to me, dad. You're dead to me. Just give me what you owe me. The Greek word here for property in verse 12, because y'all don't believe me, is, is bios. It's where we get biology. It's, it, it's, it means life. So when he says, give me your property, he's literally saying to his dad, tear your life apart for me. Your life means nothing. Tear it apart for me. Family, this is very problematic. And I, I, when I'm reading this and I'm studying, and I'm about ready to slap this dude for daddy. I mean, it's problematic. This is an agrarian culture. So when he says, give me my share of the land, he's saying, give me your land, your, your, your well-being, what you need, your living off of. That's where I, I, I need that now. So, so he, he's not only saying, you're dead to me, pops. But he's basically alluding to the fact that this relationship, don't miss this, between he and his father was just a means to an end. It was transactional. Could you imagine one of your kids coming up to you and doing this? Here's the father who has provided for him, loved him, and this young boy very disrespectfully dishonors him in one move. He simply has no regard for his actions. And hear me, I'm, I, if I'm not already in your neighborhood, as much as we can shake our heads at this young guy here, if we're honest, many times we treat God the same way as a means to an end. God is only someone we consult when we need something. 
He's only someone we run to and when we want something or we're in a hard situation. If, if we don't need God or want something, even if we claim Christianity, you know where our faith is at that point in time? It's on the shelf of our life collecting dust. And we only pull our faith out when we need God to move, when we need God to show up, when we need or want something. In other words, our faith has become transactional. The younger brother in this text has no regard for the things of the father, but here it is. Instead, he wants all he has to offer without the father. He wants his blessings, but doesn't want to live a life worthy of the blessings. And many of us, again, I'm, I'm stepping probably all up in your kitchen a little bit with this one. We do the same things. We, we don't want God, but we want the things God has to offer. God, I know your, your Bible says no sex before marriage and let the, the marriage bed be undefiled. But, you know, they tell me in culture, I need to try the shoe on before I buy that thing. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I shouldn't be drunk with wine and all kind of other things, but it's my birthday, God. I got to turn up today. I'll be a Christian tomorrow. Oh, 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 man, can you get me through this problem, God? I, I'm so tired of this pandemic. I, you know, get me through this, get me through this thing. I, I don't know if I'm really ready to live, live for you, but I just need to be out of this thing. I'm struggling. See, we want the things of God. But if we really are honest, we don't really want God. And the thing that blows my mind about this when I read this story, this narrative, is that that's where the son is. But the father still gives him what he asked for. The father, according to this text, y'all, he could have dragged him out, out the house and he could have beat the black off of him like they say where I'm from. He could have beat this dude, battered him, bruised him, kicked him out the house with nothing in hand. He could have just let him go. But instead, he gives him what he asked for. Friends, hear me sometimes. I need y'all to hear this. Don't miss this. Sometimes God will allow things to happen to us or give us things not because he wants to prosper us. It's also not because he wants to, to hurt us. But instead, sometimes God will give us things or allow us to go our own way in order for us to see him for who he truly is. In other words, some would say it this way. You don't realize how good you have it until it's gone. See, see, I, 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 I like to read between the white lines here in the text. I don't believe the father, in all his wisdom, is just giving one-third of his estate to his immature son without any regard for what he's doing here. He knows what he's doing, and sometimes, don't miss it, experience is the best teacher. Sometimes we got to learn the hard way, which is what we see as we move forward in the text. The father gives the son everything he asked for here in the text. In verse 13, it says, not many days after this, he gathers all that he had. And he took a long journey. 
Now, now the word gathered here, if you translate it in the original language, it means that he took all that was given, all that land that was given, and he, he, he converted it to cash. He sold it off, and he got all this money. And it says he went on a long journey, and he started squandering his money. Y'all, he didn't waste no time. My man was probably out there living his best life. You know, he had the latest raw high joints, the, the sandals, and they laced up all the way up to the knee, them good joints. You know, those are like Jays today, Jordans, and, and uh, Birkenstock. Some of y'all like that. I don't, I don't Uncle uh, Pastor Steve, he wears those things. I don't, I don't understand the cork, corkscrew sandals and stuff. But, it, you know, it's like Jays and Gucci sandals and stuff like that. Jay, he had all of that joint. And he, he's probably walking around with the, the royal purple linen robes. You know, he's out here looking like new money. Just Gucci'd out. But then the text says that a famine arises in the land. Comes over land, the text says he, he begins to be in need. So verse 15, he, he goes, he hires himself out as a citizen of the country to work with some pigs. This man went from being in the big house with the pops, his daddy, living a good life, eating, having meals prepared, food, on the, all these different things, had a, ha, having a share in inheritance, to now spending his inheritance, running out of money. And it says in the text that he... He's working now for a Gentile because Jews, to this day, they still view pigs as unclean. It, it says he, 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 work, he hits rock bottom all the way down to the point where he, he I can picture my man on his knees staring at the pig slop saying, mm, that looks good. Pig slop. Some know the saying, sin will take you farther than you want to go. It'll make you spend more time than you want to spend. And it'll make you pay more than you want to pay. This little boy here in the text has hit rock bottom because of his decisions. I got to ask you, you ever been there before? Some of us are there right now, if we're honest. The father in the text allows him to go out on his own and he hits rock bottom. And I need you to hear me. One of the worst punishments that we as humans can receive from God, it ain't a lightning strike or him beating us down. It's him saying, all right, you go on off on your own. This is why we average more than one murder a day in Chicago. This is why racism exists in society. This is why classism exists. This is why pure evil and hatred exist in our society. This ain't God's problem. He, he, this is a, he didn't create these problems. These are people problems. These are sin issues. Romans 1 tells us, y'all don't believe me, it tells us three times because we did, did not acknowledge God and honor him, God gave us up to our passions and desires. Y'all don't believe me. Let's look at it. Verse 24, it says, therefore, God gave them up, gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them, there it is, them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. See, so we see God 
giving us up, allowing us to go our own way. And the question becomes, well, all right, I see this whole God gave us up, but what has he given us up to? Let's read the rest of this, verses 24 through 32. Follow with me. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Wow. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. There it is, to the dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God. Wow. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, as hard as that is to read, because we can see ourselves in that all up in there, this is just a short list compared to everything that's going on in society. And hear me, before you get all caught up in this and say, God is just a mean, vindictive type of dude. Hey, he, he is this, this, he's off the hinges, hear me. This isn't a punishment he inflicted on us. He just says, go on, okay, okay, you think you know better than me. You, you think you got this thing. Okay, go on ahead, go do it. Go do it. And, and this is different than the God that we see throughout the Bible. You read the Old Testament, you see God continuously over and over again, even after people rebel. He's always saving them. He's always coming after them. He's always coming back for them. All the way up to the end of the Old Testament where now there's 400 years of silence where he's like, I'm through. But even in that, he's like, I still love my people. So what does he do? He sends Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. So when he dies on the cross, and if we believe, now we can spend eternity with God the Father. We're now righteous eyes because of Jesus's righteousness and his death on the cross and our belief. But yet that's not enough. We still continue to do our own thing. Here's my point. God doesn't make us do sinful things. I know I'm messing somebody up right now. He doesn't make you do sinful things. He doesn't inflict sin on you. He just lets us go. It's our own doing. So it's sort of like tough love, but a loving plan at the same time. Because he allows us to go out and do these things in the world and, and see all these things happen, not because he wants more murder. It's not because he wants more racism or more evil or just plain hatred. It's not that. It's because he wants people to see him as the only hope in their lives. Nothing else. The younger brother in the text, he's at the bottom. He's hopeless. 
probably the lowest he's ever been in his life. And I can't help but to believe that the father here, he knew that this would happen, which is why he gave his immature boy everything he asked for. He wasn't going to fight him over it, not so he could die, but so in the end he can realize how good he had it at home. The boy's only hope, hear me, for the good life is with his father. And I wonder how many of us in here right now are missing out on the good life with our heavenly father because we're running around trying to search for it and all these other things in the world. I wonder if that's us a bit. My wife and I, we, we sit and we, especially in this pandemic, we sit back and we Watching the news and social media and stuff, it, it's a, a depressing time. It, it's so much happening in society. You got corrupt politicians. You got black men getting killed and, and, and no, no, no convictions. You got suicide bombings and terrorist attacks happening all over the place. We have to constantly be reminded that, that this world is not where we find our hope. It's in Jesus. Family, we can't fix ourselves. Can't fix this world. But Jesus can. And one day he will. He'll come back and he's going to free all of those that believe from the very presence of evil and, and the presence of this world. And we'll live with him forever and ever. That's where believers hang their hat at the end of the day. It's not in this world. Our hope is in him. Now hear me, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't go out and you shouldn't fight for what's right in society, fight against injustice and a better system and all these other things. But hear me, our hope can't be in a better system. Our hope has to be in Jesus. That's the hope. That's the hope for the believer, the non-believer, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and everyone else is that we would see our world as messed up, our lives as messed, and recognize that there is hope that exists in Jesus. Recognize that there is a good God that says, I'm here and I love you. Just believe and trust in me. God doesn't just want us to suffer, family. He wants us back. He wants us home. He, he wants the world to be like it once was in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where it was perfect perfection, perfect shalom, or peace between him and people. And if you read all the way to the end of Revelations, in Revelations 21 and 22, you see that there is a day coming where he will create a new heaven and a new earth, and he will restore right fellowship with all, and we will be with him. There will be no more sadness, no tears, no pain. But until then, he's displayed his goodness through Jesus' work on the cross. He said, I've done all the work. I've already died for you. I've paid the price for your sin. I've paid the penalty. Just believe in me. Come and taste and see that I am good. Family, it's realizing the goodness of God that leads to our repentance. Turning from all this other stuff and turning to God. Which brings us to our last point, which is our repentance and God's acceptance. The text tells us in verse 17 through 19, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to him and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven 
And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your higher servants. Y'all, I love verse 17 because it begins with when he came to himself. When he came to himself. It's almost as if all of a sudden he understood his stupidity. But see, he had to get to the bottom first. He, he had to get to the bottom to understand his wrongdoing. The son is broken. He's without food. He's desiring pig slop. And it's in this brokenness that he understands that he is wrong, not only his father, but the text says in verse 18, heaven also. He understands he sinned against God. Folks, the point is, is that our salvation is not found in our hard work. It's not found in anything we can achieve on this earth, but it's in our brokenness. It's found in our brokenness. It's in our understanding of our nothingness in the midst of an almighty God that we find salvation. Uh, David says in Psalm 51 again in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You see, the common misconception is that we have to clean ourselves up when we come to God. We have to have it all together. But God doesn't desire your, your right sacrifices and all the things that you bring to him. It's our brokenness. It's in humility that we find salvation. It's, it's in our nothingness that God becomes all in all. It's when we stop doing and start trusting in him that we begin to see the movement of God in our lives. The son in the text, he doesn't really understand this right now. He, he's recognized the sin, but he sees himself as unworthy. And watch this. He says, I'm not worthy of one of my father's servants. I'm not even worthy of that. But, but what he... What he what he doesn't understand is that the space that he's in right now, this posture, this place that he's in, is the place that he needs to be in to receive the grace of the Father. So the son, I love it, in the text, he gets his, all sorry, his sorry monologue all written up. He's rehearsed. He's ready to go. He's like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say this. In verse 20 of the text, I love this. It says, he arose and he came to the Father, but while he was still away off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. Before the son could say anything, the father has already ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, family, let me, let me, let me show you, share it with this with you. Older men didn't ran, run. It, it was probably more like a walk, honestly. He, he didn't, he didn't, he, they didn't run back then. And even more so, they didn't run because it was, it was considered undignified. But the father's love for the son in this text, it's, it's overwhelming. See, I, I, could, I could picture the old man just sitting on the stoop. You know, he, he's sitting there. He's not sleeping in his bedroom at night. He's, he's just sitting there night and day. Oh, telling the servants, bring, bring me my food out here. I'm going I'm to eat. He's sitting in his rocking chair going back and forth, just eating his food day and night over and over. And he's just peering out over the fields, his, his land, over and over again, say, looking for his son day and night, looking for his son. He's not moving from, from the front porch. He's just waiting for his son. And then one day as he's peering out, he sees this speck off in the distance, and it looks like a human. He doesn't know if it's his son or not, but he sees him, and he just takes off running. He gets up, and he runs as fast as he can. Again, it's probably like a slow walk, but he's running. And he jumps and he embraces his son. 
and he kisses him before he says anything. He doesn't even care what his son has to say. Y'all, the father's love here for the son is overwhelming. The son starts to try to say what he wants to say in verse 21, and the father stops him dead in speech, not allowing him to say anything. He tells his servant, go get the fattened calf. We got we to get a meal. Get a fattened calf. Get him some clothes to put on his back, the finest linen, linen, and put a ring on his finger, which symbolizes, hear me, the reconciliation between father and son. Put some shoes on his feet, and they break out in celebration. He doesn't even care what the son has to say. He's just happy that his son is home. Family, if you missed it, here it is. The father's love covered the son's sins. Not once does he bring up his son's wrongdoing. He's just happy that he's home. The son deserved to be treated less than a servant. But instead, he receives grace from the father. He receives something he didn't deserve. The father, father literally gave up his life, tore it apart for him, split the inheritance between the two sons. He gave it all to this wayward, immature son who disrespected and disgraced him. Friends, if you haven't caught it by now, this narrative here gives us a picture of God's love for us. We all were created in the image of God. And we all, in one way or another rebelled against the things of God. We have rebelled against God, and we've trusted in our own way. Even if you consider it small or or big, we've trusted in our own way, and we've ran away from God. And here it is. God says, it's okay. I still love you even in the midst of your sin, and I'm going to send Jesus to die on the cross for you. And Jesus came down, didn't he count equality with God a thing to be grasped, as Philippians 2 tells us, and he hung on the cross, and he died in our place. The death that we were supposed to die, Jesus dies for us. He chooses to do this willingly, just like the father in this text. And the greatest part about all of this is that although we were dead in our sins, we probably, we've been the younger brother in the parable many times throughout our lives, God still accepts us, accepts us when we come to him because he loves us and he's just happy that we're home. So as we get ready to end in prayer this morning and the band comes to the stage, I, I, I got to ask you, are you the younger brother today? Some of us in here, we really just need to come home. Have you tasted the love of the Father by trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you're just in a space where you're like, I know Jesus, but I've been out here doing my own thing. And I need to come back. John 1.9 says this. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a God who forgives us and loves us. And see, the thing that gets me about this text every time I read it is that as a believer, when I read this, nowhere in the scripture does it say that the relationship between the father and son had ended. Despite all that he had done, father's still sitting on that porch looking for his son. Nowhere did it ever end, which lets me know that the same grace that saved me is the same grace that's going to keep me as I keep walking through this life. So when I mess up and I miss the mark, father looks at me and says, Derek, I still love you. 
I still got you. Come on home. Come on home. Family, wherever you are this morning, whether you need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, or you are already a believer, I believe that we all need to be reminded of his grace. It's the same grace that saved us. Nothing we can do to achieve salvation. And it's the same grace that keeps us. Take some time right now to dwell on the Father's love for you. It's truly unforeseen. We have a Heavenly Father who gave it all up for us in the midst of our mess. And although we rebel, He rejoices with the fact that we just come home. And if we're honest this morning, there's some of us that need to run back to the Father. Stop waiting for Him to get you. And it's time for you to say, I need to come on back home. I need to accept you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. You are truly an awesome God. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love that covers us. God, I do pray for those that are struggling right now. That's all of us, God, even throughout our week, the small things that we've done, even to get off track, or even the big ones, God, that we've just, we haven't trusted you, God. Every day, life is a, it's a bunch of breaths of repentance and believing, repentance and believing, and repentance and believing. So God, even on the day, Lord, I pray that we would all run to you, knowing that you are a good and gracious Father who loves us where we are, sees us where we are, saves us where we are. And that same grace that saved us, God, is the same grace that will keep us on throughout eternity. God, let us not ever forget your love for us 2,000 years ago from the beginning of time that still stands this moment today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.